You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. It is great to be with you today, and uh, we're going to take a little journey through the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, so you can go ahead and turn there if you will. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to take a look, and I, and I hope that this passage becomes for you um, a very hope-filled passage, because Peter was writing this, and I think he really wanted to reach out to, to Christians, Jews, and Gentiles, and he was writing to um, the whole uh, gamut of Christians um, in an area, and you'll see here that he names a couple specific areas, really the region of what is now modern-day Turkey, but he's really writing to Jews and Gentiles, to those who are following Christ, and he's writing to give them hope, because for them, they were facing um, persecution now and the, the potential of more persecution in the future, and they were challenged by many, many things, and he wanted to give them incredible hope. So I don't know if you've had a, a challenging week or an interesting week or a fun week, uh, but we face difficulties in life, don't we? Um, we face challenges in our workplace with coworkers or business deals that we're trying to get through or, I mean, challenges in our family relationships and all kinds of things. In the midst of the challenges of this world, thinking about where are we headed? What's the economy going to do? What's going to happen in the presidential race? Lots of uncertainty. And we can easily lose hope. But God's here today to remind us there's something that we can hold on to, that we can hold fast to, and it's, it's a, this hope that we can have, and we're going to see it as Peter outlines it um, here for us. Peter writing to um, this group of believers. Uh, so before we jump in, let me just give you the, the one <coughs> sentence statement about where we're headed this morning um, in this message. So this is what I'm trying to get across of what I believe um, Peter wants us to hear here in 1 Peter chapter 1. He wants us to know that this world is not our home. So we move onward to the promised inheritance, how? With great hope and in holiness and reverence. This world is not our home. So we move onward, and we've been talking about moving onward, and we've been looking at the, the people of Israel through the book of Joshua, and, and it's been all about them moving on. Where have they been moving from? Where were they? They were in Egypt for a while, and then where were they? They were in the wilderness for about 40 years, and now we have seen that they have crossed over the Jordan to come into this promised land that God had provided for them, that he had prepared for them, that he had said, this will be yours. But stop and think about this for a minute. Uh, the end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, we see uh, Joseph. Joseph at 110 years old, he's getting ready to die and, and pass away. And they're there in Egypt. And Joseph turns to his brothers and he says, brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you. And he will take you out of this place to the land that he has promised. And when that happens, brothers, take my bones with you. Don't leave me behind. He had a certainty. He knew it was going to happen. And they were going to leave that place. You see, in Egypt, they were foreigners. They were exiles. They were sojourners. That was not their home. And they picked up and they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. You see, from the time that Joseph died until Moses came on the scene was about 400 years. 
So for quite a long time, they were foreigners, they were exiles in that land of Egypt. And they picked up and they moved on, and they are now, as we're reading through Joshua, beginning to experience this promised land. And the victory, by faith, by faith, they had to see something in the future, a spiritual victory yet to come. And today, for us, in parallel to what happened to them in the Old Testament, we have a spiritual victory ahead of us that we should be looking forward to, and it should fill us with hope, even though it might not happen today, it might not happen tomorrow, but we know for certainty that it will happen. We will receive a promised inheritance, and we're going to see that here in this passage. So let's read here, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again. So the first thing that I want us to see is simply who we are. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at who we are, what we have, and how we should live. Those three things. So first thing, we we need to understand who we are. Who we are in this world around us. God says that we are exiles in a foreign land. What is the word exile? Maybe your translation says alien or foreigner. Really, foreign is, is a great picture of what that really is talking about. It's like being in a foreign country. How many of you have been to a foreign country before? Yeah, a good number of you. And, and uh, some of them are, you know, they don't seem too foreign. Like you head up to Canada, and uh, that seems very familiar. You know, there's a few things that are different. Like you have no idea how much you're really paying for gas because you pay for it by the liter. Uh, you go to the grocery store and you buy milk in a bag. That's a little odd. Uh, you go to KFC and they don't have extra crispy chicken. It, just, it doesn't make sense to me, but um, <laughs> I went there and I, that's what I wanted. You know, I was over in Canada and I'm like, you don't have that? Okay. Uh, so that, but it, other than that, you know, there's, it's, it feels somewhat at home. Um, but back in 2008, we went to, my wife and I and my oldest daughter went on a missions trip to Managua, Nicaragua. And uh, listen, that did not feel at all like home. Um, that was a very different world. You come out of the airport and there's armed guards with assault weapons, right? They're, they're there to uh, hopefully protect us. Uh, you drive down the streets and the houses are, are walled in and there's barbed wire around them. Why? Because people, man, theft is rampant there. And you don't ever leave your car on the street. You have to pull it into the into the, uh, the gated house that you have. Uh, and it's just a different world, a different culture. Now, when we were there, we did find a, a nice uh, slice of American um, culture and, and a pizza hut. We found a pizza hut there. I uh, went there, had some pepperoni pizza, and that felt a little bit like home. But you know what felt really the most at home when we were there? Is when we were at the church that we were there to help, and we did some construction projects and some teaching, and when we gathered together, and we began to worship the Lord. And, and we talked with these brothers and sisters, and we couldn't, I couldn't speak their language. I don't speak Spanish. But as we worshiped, we worshiped the same Lord, and there was this connection. There was this feeling like, hey, we're brothers and sisters. We know something of each other. Even though we've never met before, and we live in a totally different world here on earth, 
we have a connection because we have a, the same citizenship in heaven. Today, we live as foreigners in this world. In fact, 1 John chapter 1 says, um, don't love the things of the world. Because if you do, what? The love of the Father is not in you. So our challenge today is understand we are foreigners. And that's why it feels so, we should feel so disconnected from this world. And we feel, what is happening? Why do people act that way? Why is it so, um, seems so foreign to, to me and to my spirit? And I'm, I'm not understanding what's happening here. And, uh, because we are exiles. We are foreigners in this world. Well, what does it mean to be um, a foreigner? A couple thoughts here. First thing, it means simply we have a different citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 tells us this very thing. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a citizenship here on earth, but we have a greater citizenship and a primary citizenship in heaven. And with it come all the rights and privileges and protections of citizenship in heaven. Here in the U.S. we have a bill of rights, and we have rights of citizenship. Those will fade away and those will pass away, but our citizenship in heaven will never fade away. Because we have a different citizenship, we have a different allegiance. Because we have a different king, a different ruler. Our king is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 Speaking of Jesus, it said, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He's the head. He's the ruler. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence or first place. We have a different citizenship and therefore a different allegiance to a different king. And this king does not seek second place. This king seeks first place. That in all things, that in all of our actions and work and thoughts and relationships, He might have the preeminence, the first place. That's what it means to have a citizenship in heaven. He is the one that we serve. So we vote here uh, in this, this year. We're voting for a new ruler, new president uh, of the United States of America. And that's, that's a, a right thing to do. It's a good thing to do. So because we have a different citizenship and a different allegiance doesn't mean that we check out from our responsibilities here on earth as citizens of the United States. So we continue to do that. Not only do we have a new citizenship and allegiance, but we have a new identity. Look over in First Peter. Look over briefly at chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. Paul, or Peter here, speaking to his audience, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous night light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We have a new identity as the people of God. We are not a people of this world. We are a people of God. A chosen race. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. He has done a work to call us out of this world to Himself. And we have a new identity. Our identity is not primarily American or Canadian or Italian 
or whatever your ethnic background is. Our identity now is first and foremost as citizens of the heavenly places. A member of the king kingdom of our great king. We have a new identity. And finally, we have different values. We have different values. Our values cannot be the values of the world. Just like I mentioned just a moment ago, 1, Peter, or 1 John tells us that we can't love these world's values. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that you can't really enjoy going to a, a park or um, the things that are produced out of the land or the things of this world because those are good and right and those are created by God for us to enjoy. Food was created by God for us to enjoy. The beauty of creation is there for us to enjoy. God made it. It's right. It's beautiful. It's incredible. But we don't love the values of this world. And that's what we're talking about. The values of this world are completely contrary to heaven's values. What are some of those? What's the the contrast that we might see here? Well, the world's values, the world says, seek pleasure, seek things that you enjoy first. Heaven says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. That's what we seek first. The world values seeking success. I gotta seek my success. I gotta work hard to be a success in life and climb the corporate ladder and, and have the position and the power. And the heaven says, seek the success of others. Instead of seeking power and position, seek a place of servanthood. Serve others. That's a heavenly value system. The world's value system says, I want as much as I can have. In fact, I see what you have, and I want that, and I'm going to work to get that. And our life is all built on, in this world, built on having more and getting more, especially, that's the American way. How much can you collect God's value system says, God, you've given me what I have, and I'm going to be a cheerful giver. And if I see somebody in need, I'm going to give to meet that need. I'm not going to collect it. I'm not going to hoard it. The world's value system says, what can you do for me? Right? What can the government do for me? What can my church do for me? What can my wife or husband do for me? What can my job do for me? And heaven's value system says, what can I do for others? How can I go the extra mile to help somebody in need? The world's value system says, you've been hurt, you hold on to that thing and you repay them as soon as you can because they are due it. You owe them, you owe to get back at them. That's the world's value system. Heavenly value system says, you know what? I'm going to forgive 70 times 7. I'm going to keep on forgiving and I'm going to eliminate this bitterness in my heart That's a heavenly value system. Our worldly value system says in your marriage relationship, if you don't do something that's pleasing to me, if you don't love me, if you're not making me happy, then I'm going to find that happiness somewhere else that I'm going to leave. A heavenly value system says love never fails. And we keep pursuing reconciliation. The worldly value system leads to death And a heavenly value system leads to life. So the question I have for you is, are you living as a foreigner in this world? Are you you soaking up the world's value system? Keep your place in 1 Peter there and turn over just a couple pages to the left to Hebrews chapter 11. Real quickly, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. And this is the great chapter of these great men and women of faith, right? 
And we see this idea, again, here, uh, of the fact that we're sojourners and there's something else that we should be holding on to. So verse 13, these, all these men and women of faith, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. There's our descriptive term again. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They're seeking a residence. They're seeking a place to belong. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, talking about Egypt, they would have had opportunity to return. They could have gone back there. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, it's not about um, the clothes that we wear or the cars that we drive, or for some people, it's not about um, having electricity or not, or, or those kinds of things. It's about the desires of our heart. It's about our value system. Do we seek something that is better, a better country? Do we seek a homeland that is to come? When you wake up in the morning, do you have a longing for heaven? Do you have a longing for that? Turn back over to 1 Peter. A couple comments here. And then we're going to look at Peter gives us what our longing should be focused on. We are foreigners, we are exiles. How are we foreigners? How are we called out once? It says, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of, the God, of, the, of God the Father. So he has done this. It's done in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. He is working in us to make us more like the homeland to which we are headed. And it, all of this is for obedience to Jesus Christ. It's interesting there, you don't, you don't see the word Trinity anywhere in Scripture, but right there we see the Trinity active in our lives, don't we? The Father, the Spirit, and the Son. The Father calling us out to be His people. The Spirit working in us a sanctification to make us more like the citizens that we should be. And, the, and Jesus Christ, our leader, our King, that we are walking in obedience to. And then it says down there in verse 3, this is also done according to God's great mercy by us being born again. He has caused us to be born again. And if you have never experienced new birth, if you have never experienced life in Christ for the first time, if you've never seen your sin on the cross and accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and come to Him in repentance and belief and faith, you have never been born again and you've never crossed over to a new citizenship. Your citizenship still is in this world, and this world will fade away, and this world will only lead to death and destruction, and there is no eternal life in heaven for those whose citizenship is of this world. You must be born again, and He does this work in us. So what have we been born again to? That is who we are. What do we have? We have an incredible promise, an inheritance prepared for us. Look down in verse 3 again. <clears throat> he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ! Exclamation point, right? So, right now, he is extolling the greatness of God for a reason. Blessed be this God that loves us. He's incredible. He's great. He's marvelous. Why? Because according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to something. There's something that we have, and he's getting ready to explain it to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. He has caused us to be born again and He's given us now an incredible promised inheritance. It's promised to us and it's secure because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this hope that we have in this inheritance is a living hope. It's alive, it's real, it's powerful, it's life-giving, and it's life-changing, and it will never fade away. This hope that we have, and the hope that we have, is in this inheritance. How many of you have ever received some inheritance from a family member? Uh, maybe big or small, and, and maybe you've received, you know, maybe uh, some jewelry, or some, some money, or some other property, or other possessions, and, and something that uh, they passed away, and, and it was passed on down to you. It was given to you as an inheritance from them, and, and those are treasured things, aren't they? Uh, my parents are still living, so I've not received any in, inheritance from them, and, but, but my grandfather passed away, and, and he had a, a Gibson guitar that he played, Every time we'd gather together for family gatherings, um, he would play this guitar and he would sing songs. He would sing songs uh, about heaven. And he would sing songs um, with the words like, um, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches over me. And it just with all the emotion of the reality of his relationship with Christ, he would play this guitar and he would sing of the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that was given to me graciously um, when he passed away, and I have that. I've taken a few lessons to try and uh, learn to play the guitar. I haven't learned to play it yet, um, but it's precious to me. But think about the inheritance, and maybe you've received an inheritance of millions of dollars. Just, I mean, it was a huge blessing to you. This inheritance that God has provided for us and promised to us is a gajillion times better than any inheritance you will ever receive on this earth. Why is that? Because he goes on to explain it here. He says, first of all, it is imperishable. It will never fade away. You see, this inheritance is the presence of God himself. It is the dwelling place with him. Remember Jesus? He looked at his disciples as Jesus was coming to the end of his life, and he says, listen, men, I'm going away. And I'm going not just to leave you, I'm going to do what? To, to prepare a place for you so that where you are, where I am, you can be also. He spoke of a place. That's the, the, our inheritance, this place that he is preparing and providing for us. It's a real place where God himself dwells. That place where we will see Jesus face to face and we will see him and know him in a way that we will never know him right now. The beauty of that moment See, everything in this life tends to decay and break apart. I mean, you get something new, and eventually it wears out. New clothes, um, they wear out. New cars wear out. New homes, they wear out. Everything fades away. This building, one day, won't be here. It'll crumble. It'll, it'll fade away. Our inheritance in heaven will never perish. It's imperishable. It's also undefiled. It is pure in every way. You know, I don't know about you, but one of the struggles in this Christian life for me is the, simply the fact that I so desire to be a man of God, to live in a righteous way and have a pure heart. Just like David said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a pure heart, one that's pleasing to you. But it, it always seems that, that the temptations and the trappings of this world, they tend to, to creep in. And we're always having to come back, Lord, would you help me? Would you forgive me? Would you renew me? 
And it's this, this process of following Christ here in this world. And don't you ever get to that point where you just have this longing for that process to end and for you to one day just experience the purity of heart that never fades away? Listen, that's heaven. When we get there, we will experience an undefiled, a pure in every way existence with the purest person, purest being, the King of Kings. And He will make our hearts completely pure on that day. Don't you long for that? I do. I'm reminded of Johnny Erickson Tata, a wonderful woman who's had an incredible ministry. And she's been a paraplegic for all these years, since, since a teenager. And she was asked, what are you looking forward to when you get to heaven? And wouldn't you think that she would say, when I'm looking forward to walking or running or you know, having my physical body back? And that's truly the case. But she said, you know, I'm most looking forward to being done with sin and having a pure and clean heart. That's, that's a great gift of inheritance for us. It's also unfading. Its beauty and its glory will never fade away. And think about that. It's unfading. It'll never fade. It's, it's getting to be springtime, and before long we'll be planting flowers and I've learned you can't really do that here. I grew up in Florida, and you could, you could plant flowers almost year-round down there. Uh, but here, you have to wait till like May 15th, frost-free date, before you can really trust to get them out there. Uh, and, you know, it starts to get warm, and you think, ah, I should get out and plant some flowers. Well, um, you might do that, but they might die. Um, but the reality, we'll plant them, and then what are we going to do a year from now? We're going to plant more flowers. Uh, because they fade away. They die. Listen, the beauty of heaven will be more beautiful than any flower we plant here, and it will never fade away. It's something to cherish and something to look forward to. And so, who we are, we are foreigners in this world, and we look to a better place, a city that is to come. And this city is our inheritance given to us and promised to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it's something that we have a living hope in. As we are exiles, as we are foreigners, with this promised inheritance, how do we live? How do we live as foreigners? And Peter gives us some great thoughts here. The first one is simply this. We rejoice with great joy. So verse 4, we have um, been caused to be born again, to an, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that is kept in heaven for you, so God's guarding it, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. In this inheritance we rejoice. And he gives a couple qualifiers here. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, it says, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And that's the reality of living in this world, that Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. No doubt about it. We face various trials, trials of all kinds, day in, day out. We have no idea what the trial we might face is tomorrow. But in that, we rejoice with joy because of our inheritance. And jump down to verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. That is Jesus. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And what? And you rejoice with joy. What kind of joy? Joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So Peter wants 
those of us that are facing trials of various kinds, uncertain um, political environments, uncertain work environments, maybe, whatever it might be, he wants us to rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. You're so filled with joy because you're so focused on the hope that you have in front of you. I don't know about you, but I just need to be reminded of this. This was a great reminder for me this week as I studied this passage of the hope and the joy that I should have. Not not joy because some business deal came, came together or joy because I get to go on vacation. Joy because I have an incredibly great promised inheritance. Then jump down to verse 13. He goes on here um, explaining how we live as foreigners. He says, therefore, therefore, and so everything that preceded it, he says, because of all that, because we are foreigners, because we've been caused to have been born again, we have a living hope and an inheritance, therefore, we do a few things. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there in verse 13, we have a command. We have an imperative. That imperative is simply this. We must have full hope on God's grace. That's that's a command. It's a directive through Peter from our Heavenly Father. He says, be hopeful. Have full hope. Now, this hope isn't um, like you might hope in your basketball team to win. Like, um, if I was to ask Keith... um, Keith, do you hope that the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish will win the NCAA basketball tournament next week, or as, as it kicks off? And you know, after Friday night, there might be little hope, but he might say, "You know, um, I, I hope so." Well, that's there's a lot of uncertainty in that that hope, right? This is nothing like that. This hope is completely certain. There is no doubt that we are hoping in something that will come to pass. Why is that? Because it's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it's based on the Word of God. And what do we know about God? He does not lie. If He said He's going to prepare a place, guess what? He's going to prepare a place. If He said He's giving us an inheritance that is all decent, guess what? He's giving us an inheritance. We will be with Him one day. It is for sure. So put your hope fully on that. How do we do that? So there's two statements here that preceded it that support it. The first thing is preparing your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. So he's talking about what we're thinking about. So our full hope flows out of the things that we fill in our mind, the things that we think about. Are you preparing your mind for action? You see, it's not, it's not coasting through this world. If we coast through this world, guess what? We're going to lose hope. We're going to lose faith. Um, We're going to lose desire. We're going to lose purity. Listen, you have to prepare your mind for action, to fight the good fight, to run the race, to be in the battle. And it begins with the things that we put in our mind. Are you putting God's word, God's truth in your mind, letting it fill you with who God is and the, the hope that we have and the things that he's telling us to do? Are you preparing your mind for action? Are you sober minded? So that, that word sober-minded literally has the opposite of being, being drunk. When people drink too much and they get intoxicated, what happens? They lose judgment. They lose wisdom. They make choices that they wish they wouldn't have made. So what happens for us 
When we live in this world, it is so easy to drink in the things of the world and to become intoxicated by the pleasures and the cares and and the things, the the enticements of this world. And Peter is saying, listen, be sober-minded. Set your mind uh, on these things and don't drink in. Don't become intoxicated with those kinds of things. Be mentally and soberly and spiritually sober. Don't let your mind become numb with the things of the world. Prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded so that you can have full hope on God's grace. And it's on His grace, right? It's not on anything that we can do. It's not on any power that we can produce. It's on power that the Lord does. It's on what He works in and through us. So we see another command here. That command is to be holy in all our conduct. Look at verse 14. He goes on. Again, therefore, it's it's continuing that therefore thought. Therefore, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you're like me and you just do a cursory reading of that, you're like, well, that's an impossible verse. (laughs) I'm going to be holy like God is holy? What in the world? How do I do that? That word holiness really has the idea simply of being set apart. Set apart from evil, from the pleasures of this world, from the world's value system, and set apart unto God. In the Old Testament, there was the tabernacle that was holy. It was a holy place. It was set apart for God and for God alone. There was actually um, instruments like bowls and things. that were They were holy bowls, which simply meant they were set apart for only use to worship God. It was set apart for Him. And so Peter is, is saying to the foreigners, to the exiles, to those that are living in a foreign land, he said, make sure that you're holy. Make sure that you are set apart from the, the attractions of the world and the evil that is there and the sinful desires and habits. Set apart from that. Set apart unto God. Because God's got a great plan, right? He, he wants you to do good works in this world. He wants you to be His vessels to display His glory, to announce His coming, to announce His salvation to this world. You're set apart for that. There's a great calling, and if we get mixed up and be set apart to the world, we miss out on the great calling that, to which He's called us. And so we're, we have to be holy in all of our conduct, in the things that we do, in the things that we think, in our attitudes. Um, be holy. And there's a couple, again, descriptive terms to describe that. It's as obedient children. Again, who are we obedient to? Look back in verse 2. We are, we are exiles we are his people called out for him for obedience to jesus christ so we're obedient children we're obedient to christ what does christ tell us to do he says love your neighbor as yourself he says love the lord your god with all of your heart with all of your strength he says go the extra mile all those things what does jesus say we're obedient children we're obedient to jesus christ and don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And so see the word ignorance there? He's going back to the things that we think and know. So we, we come to church and we learn and we read the Word of God and we learn. But yet there's this calling back to the things that we did before we knew better, right? But listen, you know better. And God says, don't be, don't be shaped or molded. Don't be conformed to those things that you used to know. 
be transformed, right? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, Therefore, brothers, I urge you by the mercies of God to make your life, your body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing. And don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind so that you can present what is approved and glorious to the Lord. So be holy in all of your conduct. And then lastly, we must live with reverence. Verse 17, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. There's that word exile again. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we live in reverential fear in this time of our exile. So God's calling us here. And so the challenge for us as we close is I want you to consider, are you living with a desire for the world? Are you living with a desire for heaven? Are you being conformed conformed to the things of the world, to the passions of your ignorance? Are you being conformed to the things of this world? As we we close, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a, a song. Take some time to say, Lord, what do you want for me? What do you want to do in my life? How do you want to change me today? And, and the altar is always open for you to come and pray and do business with God. You can do it there in your seat, obviously. Um, but what is God saying to you and respond to that? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the book of First Peter and chapter 1 here that gives us so much um, information and challenge about who we are and what we have. And Lord, we thank you and praise you and say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us this living hope. And we worship you for that and we thank you. Lord, help us to to think about it and, and meditate on it and be motivated on it. Help us to be full of hope today and to live in such a way that reflects that hope. For your glory, amen.